Here's an honest question. How are you supposed to know what to do with your money? Very few of us are exposed to meaningful advice on how to manage our finances. Even fewer have the means to get professional financial guidance. Betterment is a platform that was built to do something radical, to give accessible financial advice that puts you first. If you're like most Americans, your money is probably sitting in a savings account, likely earning you next to nothing. Maybe you have an investment account that you're not really sure what to do with. Betterment can help you make sense of what to do with your money. Investing involves risk, but you don't have to know the ins and the outs of the stock market to start investing for your future. Betterment's technology will put your money to work choosing the stocks and strategies that are right for you because we know you have other things to do. Betterment's platform can even provide guidance on what financial goals make sense for you. Give your money a new home with Betterment, peace of mind included. Download the Betterment app today. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-M-E-N-T for the betterment of you. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Atheist Experience. My name is Russell Glasser, and with me we have a uh, first-time guest on, John Loftus. It's good to be here. It's exciting, in fact. I appreciate uh, being uh, being invited. Great. It's uh, good to have you here. Now, uh, John has uh, uh, two master's degrees in the philosophy of theology <laughs> and uh, is the author of a number of books on atheism, including a couple that we're going to be talking t about today. We got... Uh, how to Defend the Christian Faith. It's a bit of a tongue-in-cheek title. And uh, this one over here is called uh, Unapologetic. <laughs> uh, today is Sunday, April 2nd, 2017, and we are a live call-in internet-based atheist TV show broadcasting from Austin, Texas, and dedicating, dedicated to promoting positive atheism and the separation of church and state. You can catch us every Sunday live on YouTube or Ustream.tv. The official Atheist Experience is www.atheist-experience.com. You can provide feedback for the show by commenting on the official show blog at freethoughtblogs.com slash AXP. You can email us at tv at atheist-community.org, or you can join the Atheist Experience official discussion group on Facebook. If you enjoy this show, you can check out our related podcast, The Nonprofits, airing on the first and third Wednesdays of every month. You can find links and more information from the Atheist Experience website, and the next nonprofits will be recorded live this Wednesday, April 5th. And as always, the cast and crew of the Atheist Experience will be going to dinner after the show at Star of India. The address is 2900 West Anderson Lane, and we'll be arriving around 6.15 or so. Uh, I have one additional announcement to make for local people in Austin. Uh, the ACA lecture next month at the Austin History Center is going to be John Seaver from Population Connection, and he will be talking about Soaring Past 7 Billion, Population Challenges for a Crowded World. So that should be an interesting lecture. 
Uh, and on with the show. How are you today, John? Uh, I'm doing great. It's a good sunny day here in Texas. Yep. Uh, and uh, I'm loving it. <laughs> uh, so you're on like a month-long visit here? Is that what I understand? About three months. My uh, oh. Yeah, my wife is uh, working as a contract uh, therapist, and she's here for a few months. I'm retired. I can hang along. And, oh, uh, cool. Write and visit and have <laughs> So, fun. and you're going to be in Austin that whole time pretty much, or, or in and out of different cities, or what? No, College Station is where she's st- uh, stationed. Ah, okay. Yeah, so, yeah. Well, uh, I I hope you're enjoying our state more <laughs> uh, so far. I, I think enjoy uh, it. some I, parts are more enjoyable than others. Yes, I enjoy it, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, so, um, before the show we were talking and, and you said that, uh, you know, those two master's degrees you got are in topics that you now consider to be complete nonsense. <laughs> I did say that. Sometimes I th- say things off the air that shouldn't oh, be repeated I, on the air. You oh, know this, right? my bad. <laughs> but, no, I mean, believe me, people will appreciate that. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, it's like, uh, Getting a degree in the characteristics and the existence of fairies, you know, and, yeah. you know, uh, in, to my view now. And, uh, yeah, it ha- did help me to produce, um, you know, some arguments that I think are unique, you know, and and uh, for that I'm, I'm very grateful. But um, I guess I'd rather have um, gotten a business degree and made millions of bucks. Well, but, sure. Uh, other but than that. <laughs> I mean, I guess the difference is that you don't have something like 85% of Americans believing in fairies. And so it's <laughs> right, at right, least right, right, a little right, right, bit right, right, relevant right. to have sort of a, an educational grounding in something that a lot of people think, right? Right. You know, as an ex-minister, ex-college uh, uh, professor, um, I... Um, just want to share what I had learned in preparation for being an apologist. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it would be a shame if I would just walked away from all of my education and said, you know, I'm just going to, I'm done with it now. Let's go out and play. <laughs> uh, although I did do that for about six years. Uh, right. I thought to myself, okay, I'm done. Uh, but then I started thinking about it in more deeper ways, and uh, people would ask me um, to um, explain why I no longer believe. So I, I wrote a book, and um, I thought I'd be done with it then. <laughs> but uh, Little did you know. Right. Huh? I mean, you can't stop. I mean, uh, because they always have uh, additional arguments that you didn't uh, write about. You know, well, that requires an encyclopedia. So I kept writing and kept right. writing and kept writing. And I Also, I mean, I've, I've talked to a number of other ex-ministers before. I mean, uh, and it, it seems like, I mean, being a minister is a very particular career path, which uh, you know, if nothing else, prepares you for for speaking very confidently about a, a variety of topics. Like, you know, the, it's a public speaking type job. And I, I imagine that if that's what you wind up being good at, just because you drop the thing that you used to be talking about doesn't mean that you want to stop talking. <laughs> <laughs> I like to talk. Yes, that's true. Um, <laughs> I mean, I can relate. <laughs> uh, well, actually, as a preacher, I was, I was pretty good at it. People would say, you know, they'd compliment me on, uh, you know, the sermons and stuff like that. But when I became an atheist, um, I realized quickly that I don't like controversy. I know it sounds strange. You know, I get nervous. I get nervous talking mm-hmm. about things to people who don't agree with me. And um, Sure. Uh, so, um, and I thought, you I thought probably didn't get a lot of people arguing no, with you from no. the pulpit. Jesus loves you. Yeah, uh, no, he doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> Defend that claim. No, that doesn't. That never happened. You see, so I realized quite quickly that I I, I was kind of nervous as a speaker, and it's kind of, kind of taken mm-hmm. me a little bit to get out of that. I think so. 
Okay. But uh, you've obviously uh, enjoyed writing these books a lot. No, and it was... A, it was uh, <laughs> I, I would rather have my teeth pulled one at a time without any uh, okay. drugs. So, uh, No, it's, it's really hard writing a book. And I look back at them and I say, you know, I didn't do this one you know, well enough. And I want to revisit it and want to re-edit it and, uh, all the time. So, so just, that's how you so, wind up writing more books. <laughs> yeah, you got to explain, uh, explain this. Okay, so I do some more and... Uh, what, what helps me is I blog at debunkingchristianity.com. Um, mm-hmm. I'm, um, you know, the, the originator of that blog. And so I've had over the years people who would come on and debate me and, uh, or others there. And I uh, would come up with uh, new ways of saying things that hadn't, that at least I hadn't said before that would uh, better explain my thoughts in my books as I go along. And sometimes I would even, uh, base a book on a lot of the stuff that I wrote on the blog, like The Outsider Test for Faith, mm-hmm. and uh, like this one, and then like that one. Uh, you won't be able right. to find these books online because these books are uh, taken from my blog posts, but they're quite uh, a bit extended uh, from the blog posts themselves. Right. Um, yeah, I've actually uh, cited you as coining the outsider test for faith a few times in the past. I got uh, one person. Yeah, <laughs> I do. Uh, I mean, you know, I do a few talks for secular student groups and and uh, conferences sometimes. And like one of my favorite techniques, even though I hadn't necessarily called it that before, was basically flipping it around and, uh, you know, flip, flipping people's arguments around and saying, well, would you take it seriously if a Muslim was saying that to you? Right. Which is basically the outsider test in a nutshell, right? It is, it is, yeah. yeah. Uh, so uh, this title, How to Defend the Christian Faith, I, I'm presuming is kind of tongue-in-cheek. Uh, I've been looking through the chapter headings and, uh, and I've, I've uh, flipped through this book a bit. And I noticed that, like, in part one, where it says preparing for the task, you've got chapter headings called, like, realize the monumental challenges, get a good education in a good field of study, and, uh, you know, become an honest, lifelong seeker of the truth, which is all pretty good advice for anyone, right? But then when you actually get down to actually defending the Christian faith, your cha- your headings have a bit more of a bite to them, and they become things like, you have to gerrymander for God, and when all else fails, lie. <laughs> uh, what are you going for there? <laughs> let me see. Let me see uh, what I did say. i start reading on page one, mm-hmm. and uh, we'll get to it before too long. No, I don't think we have time no, for that. Part, part one, I actually offer sincere advice to wannabe apologists. I have a unique pedigree. Mm-hmm. I have studied with some of the top uh, defenders of uh, four out of five different uh, apologetical methods, and the fifth one where I didn't actually study under a leading pro- proponent, I had a mm-hmm. class in. Um, uh, any any names we might have heard of? Uh, William Lane Craig. <coughs> oh, um, yeah. <laughs> John Feinberg, or uh, Paul Feinberg, mm-hmm. uh, Kenneth Conser, who was the... Um, who is known as the Dean of Evangelicalism. He edited Christianity Today. So you're saying you, you studied directly with William Lane Craig? I did, like yeah, he, yeah. he knows you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and what does he think of you? <laughs> oh, I, I, we're friends. I mean, uh, okay. I, I mean, in a way, except that, uh, I don't know, I kind of goaded him a little bit that maybe he doesn't like me anymore. I don't know. Oh. But, um, well, uh, if you want to say for our very small audience, what do you think of William Lane Craig? I won't stop you, but... Well, <laughs> In the chapter, if you want to be diplomatic, I'll... <laughs> in the chapter uh, eleven here, when it says "when all else fails, lie," uh huh, I have a little section on him. 
<laughs> okay, I got so, that. So um, yeah, uh, yeah. So he's not going to like that, I suppose, uh, if he's paying attention and he doesn't think he has to pay attention. So he's not, I'm, I guess. So yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, I mean, it's not like we have a mind share of all those Americans who, uh, you know, who just buy into a faith, and so. You know, you can make a lot of money by when all else fails lie. Now, one thing he's in a particular uh, position as an apologist is that he's a really good debater. You know, <clears throat> he, he can mm-hmm. defend the indefensible like no one else. <laughs> you did hear right. what I said. The, he can defend what's indefensible like no one else. Mm-hmm. And um, so when he's debating... Uh, you ought to view him as a lawyer. You know, a lawyer will present the case right. on behalf of his client... And, put him in the best light as possible, it's stretching the truth if possible. Uh, you know, I'm not accusing lawyers of that, but um, they want to do the best they can at, you know, making their client look good. And that's what William Lane Craig thinks mm-hmm. uh, that he's supposed to do with God, and he will, stre- he will stretch the truth and even um, misquote things and pull things out of context and make whatever his case he can make, you know. Yeah. One of the things that I've actually noticed a lot, and if I had to nail down a general technique for uh, what apologists do... Like, they really quickly, like, they talk about things that should, in a way, be in the realm of empirical uh, reality that you can, like, study and test. But what they seem to try to do a lot is, like, move the conversation away from empirical topics and move it to abstract concepts as quickly as they can. So they get, so... You know, you ask, like, what's the evidence for God? And they'll say, oh, well, mathematically, because there is no last number or whatever. You know, they they will talk in these huge generalities and then try to apply it to uh, specific features of the real world where, if their argument were correct, it would apply to any possible universe. Oh, yeah, right. Exactly. You know? They lack an imagination as to what could have been. Right. You know, uh, and they just, what they do is they take the universe as it is and they assume God is good and God made the universe good. And so, therefore, Mm -hmm. they do all they can to make sure that the universe is painted in good pictures and uh, that we are the bad people and God's (laughs) never to be blamed. And, um, you know, it's it's nauseating. It's just simply nauseating. (laughs) Sure, sure, yeah. They're not honest people, uh, at least on a subconscious level. Their brains will not allow them to entertain the truth because there's so much writing on uh, the delusions that they've been fed that they can't allow themselves to entertain anything but the delusion itself. They're brainwashed. They're indoctrinated. They can't. It's really hard to try to break through to them. Mm-hmm. It just really is hard. So, uh, so, so I, I'd like to deal in terms of concrete examples. Mm-hmm. Like Christians will take you down the rabbit trail of, well, define an, ex, de, define an extraordinary claim. What is an extraordinary claim? And they'll bring up right. all kinds of odd scenarios. <laughs> or they'll say, define a miracle. Uh, let's, let's get into definitional apologetics and see if we can't just define this away. So you, 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 yeah, you and, engage them. And, and, almost, and again, that takes you to abstract concepts. Like it doesn't necessarily exactly. have to be mathematical proofs. It can be, let's spend 20 minutes talking about what this word means. So, so what, I do, <laughs> what I do is I focus on concrete examples. Mm-hmm. You know, um, okay, so maybe we're having trouble defining a miracle here. So let's talk in terms instead of a virgin who has a baby, you know, mm-hmm. or a levitating, you know, three pe- persons off of the trans- Mount Transfiguration, so sure, so called. Or let's let's talk in terms of concrete examples, and all of a sudden they back away. I mean, right. all, of a, all of a sudden we can't 
we can't deal with this definition anymore because you don't have a definition. Well, right. I don't need one. That is a miracle, right? Yes or no? Yeah. And go well, on from there. That's where it comes in handy to be familiar with a variety of different kinds of religions because, like, if you know Mormonism and, and you were to say something like, well, the Mormons say that Joseph Smith read all these, you know, got personally visited by an angel who handed him some golden plates, which seem to say something that's unbiblical, what do you think about that? And it's really easy to get them to, to jump to, well, that's nonsense. And, and yeah. it's like, yeah. why? Here we go. You know, follow me down this road, right? Right. <laughs> and, and it's interesting to see that the Mormons will, um, they have pretty good arguments against, uh, say, evangelicals. Mm-hmm. Evangelicals have pretty good arguments against Mormons. Exactly. And they both have pretty good arguments against Catholics, and Catholics have pretty good arguments, you know, against them, and on yeah. it goes, and on it goes until you talk if, about different religions. If and you want to know what's wrong with Scientology, listen to a fundamentalist Christian explain it. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so what I do is I simply listen to them. Mm-hmm. I, I simply read what they say, the liberals, uh, the, the conservatives, the different religions, uh, and I, uh, I report back you know, to my readers what they've said. And they right. do all the work for me because none <laughs> of them have any evidence for them. And so what they're doing is they're dealing in abstract concepts, like you said, without any uh, reality behind them. And what they, that can be seen most clearly when you see religionists debate each other. Mm-hmm. I step back. These are what you guys are saying. And you're, you're saying, you're making the case for me. Mm-hmm. And, and so sometimes the best thing to do can be to put yourself in the role of an opposing, uh, like, religious mindset and just play devil, devil's advocate. Like, for instance, if you've got a nice Christian who wants to talk about how, you know, those Westboro Baptist Church people who, who just think, you know, God hates fags, we're not like them. You, you say something like, well, why not? Don't they have a point? <laughs> and... <laughs> You, you know, exactly. trying to argue against one religious uh, position t- kind of invalidates a lot of the arguments that they'd be bringing up for theirs. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's, what, that's my point. My point is um, religionists uh, debunk themselves. Mm-hmm. And um, they're even believers. They'll say, they'll say, oh, but you're an atheist. You don't believe because you hate God. No, these are the arguments coming from other people who believe in God just as strongly as you do, but they happen to have a different take on God. You can't say that of me because I'm only telling you what they have said, and right. they are already believers. Well, they're not the right kind of believers. Well, show me why they're not kind of believers. I, I'll even challenge them to go to their websites, go to their forums, like uh, Christians ought to go to Jehovah's Witnesses forums and say, okay, you now spend four weeks there and see how many you can convert. <laughs> Go to the Catholic Forum and see how many you can convert. Why? And the question is, why can't you convert them? You know, and you'll find out, you know, what I'm up against. You'll you'll find out what it's like to stand back and say, you know what? As an outsider, um, I don't find your reasons, uh, you know, yeah. uh, sufficient. There's no evidence. So, some of them will sometimes retreat to saying, "Well, I'm not really trying to convince everybody. It's just God really likes to see His followers uh, put in a good effort, being persecuted by unbelievers." And so, you know, I may never convince you, but it makes me feel good, or yeah, well, it makes God feel good. Actually, I like roller coasters. They make me feel good. <laughs> you know, I, I'll just go roller coaster riding. Now let's forget argumentation and all of, of itself. You know, right? But, but if God, if there's a God who um, 
wants disagreement, then we have to look at the kind of disagreement that we've seen among religions, you know, mm-hmm. and the death that it's called, and the mayhem that it is causing today, and the stuff that's gone on in the past. And you have to say, is that a God that you want to believe in that's worthy of worship that would inspire two different religions, or even, wow. even within any given one of them that would, you know, uh, condone rape or uh, killing of homosexuals or... Is that the kind of God you actually want to uh, to embrace? And then you kind of press them on that kind of issue as well. So right, and I mean, according to various uh, sites that or and organizations that pay attention to these numbers, it's not just two competing religions; it's tens of thousands of sects of Christianity. Um, which I, I mean, you know, basically what happens every time is it's like, look, there's all these sects of Christianity and they can't seem to agree on anything. So let's make a version that that agrees on everything. And it, and then it's like, oh, now we have 30,001 sects of Christianity. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, do you have a, would would you say a favorite argument or, or a Christian apologetic that you just keep coming back to over and over again? No. <laughs> they're, they're just not that good, huh? No, there's, I was asked on a Christian radio program a couple of years back, what's the best argument that uh, you've run across uh, from the Christian uh, circles? Mm-hmm. And they were talking from the evangelical circles. None. No, don't you have any? Right. Don't you have any? No, they're, they're all bad. I mean, there's, yeah. they, they, just like the, <laughs> I said here, they, they specialize in special pleading. They mm-hmm. punt to possibilities. They gerrymander for God. They master the art of mischaracterization. I right. cannot believe it's a how, lot of alliteration there. I can't believe how <laughs> often I engage Christians and they mischaracterize. They, 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 they don't have the eyes and the ears to see and to hear what I'm saying. Now, mm-hmm. I used to be on that side, so I'm doing my, my damnedest, you know, to, to help them understand that I understand what you said, and I could say it just as well as you have said it, and even better than you can say it. And I, so I understand what you say, you, you know, and, but they can't do that likewise. They can't understand. I try and try and try, but they don't have the eyes or the ears <laughs> to hear. Their brain is lying to them. Their, their brain is specializing in lying to them, right. hiding the truth. Well, uh, turning the topic around from how Christians can convince atheists, is there any particular uh, technique or approach that uh, you found works really well as an atheist? And I'm, you know, when I say works really well, I obviously don't mean uh, converting everybody you talk to, but there must be that one thing that's like, you know, 1% more effective than the other stuff. or Not one thing. B- believe, but for believers to talk to atheists and convince them? For uh, atheists to talk to Christians, because I have, I mean, most atheists I know were once Christians. Uh, uh, if you're talking to somebody who's religious and uh, and you want something that works better than uh, the typical technique. What? How do you approach an argument? Well, and, I like the after this we'll go to college. Okay, I like the outsider test of faith, mm-hmm. uh, and that's treat your own religion as uh, is as if you're an outsider, like you've never heard of it before. Right. And um, and so then let's go in to see how exactly uh, you you look at the Mormon. Uh, or the uh, Muslim faith. How do you do that? Well, we assume that the Quran is uh, not divine, but written by Muhammad as a man. A man wrote it. Mm-hmm. And then we look at for evidence to see if there's a divine you know, mind behind it. Well, do that same thing with the Bible. Don't uh, automatically assume that the Bible is written by God. 
approach it as if a bunch of different people wrote it and um, see if there's any divine mind in, you know, uh, behind it, that kind of thing. Um, mm-hmm. Sometimes so don't start with the assumption no, that it's divine. No. See if you can work your way to the right. conclusion exactly. that it's divine. Um, otherwise, you're special pleading, and that's uh, that's why I have a whole chapter in this book called um, "You Must Specialize in Special Pleading." The very mm-hmm. let me just read, if I could, the first uh, paragraph of that chapter because I think uh, I said it better than I'm going to say it <laughs> if I don't. Sure. All apologetics is special pleading. If you want to be a Christian apologist, you must perfect this art. It's what you'd be taught in any college or seminary apologetics program. However, if you want to be a good Christian apologist, you must avoid doing so entirely. But if you avoided doing so entirely, you wouldn't be an apologist at all. Uh, the risk here should be clear. If you didn't special plead your case, you wouldn't be an apologist at all. That's the kind of thing you'll see in this book. It's kind of a backhanded way of, uh, of talking to Christians. But I do offer some <coughs> sincere advice in the first chapter, you know, sure, about yeah. being honest, uh, you know, being a lifelong seeker of truth. Okay. Well, uh, so we've got some callers lined up, and uh, I was thinking that we could uh, first take Harad from Iran, because it seems like he has actually read Unapologetic and would like to talk about some specific points in that book. Hello, Harad, are you on? Hi, yes, I'm on. How are you guys? Hi, good. How are you? Yes, good. Great. So... John, I read your book, but I'm still in the middle of the chapter five. So just uh, taking up some points that you discussed with um, about your defense of the new atheists. Oh, yeah, yeah sure, sure. Go ahead. Uh, okay. So like what are you Richard talking Dawkins about? And, is... like Richard Dawkins and Christopher Hitchens, exactly. P.Z. Myers and others that I defended, sure. Yeah, okay. So... Uh, one thing you pointed out, and I think you were really, really right on this point, was that the method of the old atheists, comparing it to the new atheists, is really outdated. Mm. So, for example, what I mean is that uh, if it wasn't for the new atheists, I wouldn't really be an atheist right now. I wouldn't know of people who were or who are atheists. And also, I wouldn't know of other people like you, like Graham Oppie, like Schellenberg. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so how would you then, um, because you touched on the post-theism bit in your book, and you've also talked about that uh, if we try to respond to this criticism or to their arguments for God, we have to do it over and over again because they just keep coming. And um, it adds credibility to theists. But you also say that in your book that you want to change minds. Yes. So so how, how would you then, it seems to me to be a paradox here. Okay, because... uh, yes it is. Um, I understand, uh, let's see if I can put your uh, question in terms of, uh, that others can understand because I myself had a bit of difficulty understanding it. Um, you, you like the fact that um, the new atheists exist because uh, they propelled atheism into the forefront and um, their 
uh, modus operandi yeah. would be to uh, stress for evidence. Where's the evidence? Where's the evidence? Where's the evidence? We don't want to go into this mumble jumble of um, theology and philosophy in order to believe exactly, or not believe. Exactly. Uh, we, we want the evidence. Their stress was on the evidence. Uh, uh, P.Z. Myers' uh, courier's reply was based on the evidence. Where's the evidence? You know, otherwise we're going to uh, treat you like um, the emperor with no clothes and we're just going to laugh at you and stuff like that. So uh, it gets a lot of people, uh, you know, they sit up in their seat and they say, well, where is the evidence? And all of a sudden, all of their gerrymanderings and all of their philosophical reasonings uh, seem to uh, be akin to discussing the height and the weight and the characteristics of Superman uh, or the theories or how fast the Superman could fly. Well, first, let's have some evidence there is a Superman. <coughs> okay. Uh, so, but what about other philosophers of religion like Graham Obey? Uh, I, revere, uh, I, I really uh, think highly of him as one of the yeah, me too. preeminent uh, philosophers of religion. Well, um, I, I think you probably read what I said about that. Uh, what he's done in uh, his latest book, Describing Gods, is to uh, discuss um, the characteristics of Superman. Yeah, yeah, I've read the book. Yeah, yeah. He, what he's doing in, in the book, uh, Describing Gods, is he's describing uh, the characteristics of Superman. Can he fly faster than a bullet? Uh, can a bullet penetrate his skin? Can he? Yeah, uh, yeah. But can, the point can, remains, though. You're going to have to let me answer. I, you're going to have to. You're going to have to let me answer. Okay, okay. Go on, go on. Um, or whether he, can, whether Superman can move the earth. Well, well, first, where is Superman? First, let's find out whether there's any evidence for God. Where, where is this God? Uh, otherwise, we're just playing a game with Christians who already need our um, our our approbation. I mean, we, we uh, let's say it's. A, Approbation may not be a wrong word, but our encouragement. If we start taking them seriously, when they start talking about things like hell and how hell can be either palatable or impalatable without looking at the evidence for hell, where is hell um, and who believed it and why they believe it, we have to look at the evidence for hell. We have to look at the evidence for God. We have to look at the evidence for Jesus. We have to look at that evidence. And if the evidence is not there, then what we're doing when we pick one version of hell or one version of Jesus or one version of God out of the mix of myriads of numbers of gods and hells and Jesus then what we're doing by dissecting that particular belief, we're putting more emphasis on that. We're actually saying that is the best view of God there is, or that is the best view of hell there is, or that is the best view of uh, Jesus there is. And we're, we're picking on that argument to dis discuss it because we think that's the best thing. I God. agree. But so by doing that, we've already decided among the many different views of gods and Jesus and hells, which ones have more merit. And I don't think that we should do that. Once we do that, and rather than put them all in the mix of all kinds of different views of hells and all different kinds of views of Jesus and all kinds of view, different views of gods, then people, religious, actually see uh, what's going on. They have different views because there's no evidence for them. And if the evidence doesn't convince them, I don't know um, that philosophical reasoning is going to do it. Now, I'm not saying that you don't do that. I'm just saying, if you do it in the classroom, you should uh, tell the truth to your students. And I'm talking mainly to atheist philosophers of religion. Tell the truth to yeah, your yeah, students. Yeah, yeah, I've read that, yeah. So I, I think the question is partly, uh, does arguing with theists in general kind of legitimize them in a way that they weren't already legitimized in well, the first place? Well, it's the claim that John makes in his mm -hmm. book, and I agree. What I'm saying is that how else can you... You know, change people's minds. You you have no way except to engage with them. Hmm. Well, um, and this engaging with them. Okay, go ahead. Well, like for instance, okay, uh, does God exist? 
Well, you could talk about the philosophical arguments for the existence of God, the argument for reason, or the ontological. But they are rubbish. Uh, but okay. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Or, or you can just turn to the Bible, open it up, find out about the God in the Bible, and his name is Yahweh, right? And then look at his characteristics, and look who believed in him, and find out things uh, by looking at extra uh, canonical literature that he was the son of El, um, and uh, that he had a wife. Uh, otherwise, how did he have sons and, and daughters? You know, how were there sons and daughters uh, uh, from uh, Yahweh unless he had a wife? Why, the wife was cut out of the, the Old Testament. Asherah was her name. Uh, and ask yourself, okay, now this is the God uh, that uh, evolved into the God I believe in. And ask yourself whether or not you believe in Yahweh. Now, if you don't believe in Yahweh, you can't believe in God. I mean, you shouldn't okay, be able to. So, so you look at what the Bible has to say. You look at what science has to say. Evolution basically discredits almost all religions. Um, and it's not doesn't it doesn't necessarily prove all religion is wrong. If you're asking me to prove that a religion is wrong from science, you're asking too much of science. Uh, but you do see that it's very improbable that any religion is wrong, and that's okay, good. And that's good the, enough. The point. I, uh, if the I the point that I'm making though um, is that um, you remember your book why I became an atheist. That I, was I, I awesome. don't remember much about it anymore. <laughs> I've had a few drinks and. But, uh, well, if, I've translated this into Persian, and oh, it's available for oh, download. Oh, I remember you now, yes. <laughs> okay. If, if and, I can uh, jump in and maybe address the, the concern you have, uh, okay. I, I think that maybe the way to approach these arguments is to, uh, first of all, I, is to maybe personalize the argument and make it clear that you are arguing with the person on their own terms, and, and in that way sort of conditionally accept that what they're saying is true, but but uh, make sure they get that you're taking it as seriously as, say, you might take an argument about Superman, right? Uh, it's possible to have no, an argument saying, about whether no, Superman... I'm, could, that, okay. I, I'm not saying that we have to take it seriously. I mean, right. sometimes we have no choice but to do that. Okay, well, so for and example... I'm saying if I want you to, do have a choice. Uh, like, well, no, so, no, no, I, I, um, okay, you need to read the rest of the book first off, okay? And I'm going to ask okay, you later, I'm going to ask you later, I'm going to give you a test, right? If you don't pass the test, then, you know, I'm going to have to flunk you, right? But once you read the whole book, okay. you'll find out uh, that what I'm talking about is uh, more nuanced than that. Yes, we have to deal with versions of hell. Yes, we have to deal with versions of God. Yes, we have to deal with versions of, uh, of Jesus, right? Uh, one after another if we have to. If we're going to write a scholarly book on Jesus, then we have to deal with all those versions of Jesus. Yes, we have to. But it's, it's best done in the context where you deal with them all. It's, uh, uh, you can't just pick out on, say, uh, um, the traditional view of hell where um, um, you know, there's everlasting conscious yeah, suffering. Yeah. You, you can't do that. Otherwise, if you do that, you're saying this, this version of hell has more merit to it such that I'm going to deal with it. But if you write a chapter on the on versions of hell and you deal with a bunch of them i mean a bunch of them or a book on hell and you write a book on a bunch of them then it puts all these versions of hell in the same context which is where they should be so you deal with them yes but only in the context of uh of uh, religion in general that's why i advocate comparative religion the anthropology of religion and psychology yeah, yeah. of religion as you you might know this but my re my listeners don't might know that know this so I, okay, go on. we have to deal with religion in the context, I mean, of, of 
the world religion. And if you don't do that multiculturally, then what you're doing is that you're saying, my parochial religion has more merit to it than others. And I think that's what's doing uh, us harm, because Christians themselves, if we just deal with their versions and don't talk about multicultural versions of religion, they tend to think that they've got the uh, the major alternative to atheism. And if they have the major alternative to the atheism, all they have to do is like attack atheism, and they, they ride high and act like they're they're, they're going somewhere. Exactly. That's, that's the problem we have in Iran, because Muslims think exactly. that all the options are either atheism or Islam. Right, right. So what they've got, what they've got you involved in a, um, a vicious cycle, uh, you've got to break. You've got to break if you want to get anywhere with them, and you don't want to get killed either, of course. So. Uh, Harad, I mean, I, I'd like to ask you something. Um, I mean, okay. I, I'm assuming that you don't get into these arguments very publicly. I mean, uh, I'm not going to assume much about your personal position, but uh, is... Well, I do get in at, uh-huh. as far as I can, like in university, for example, during question hours, mm-hmm. they are somehow open to the questions. Not really. You have to be careful, uh, but you can. So yeah. um, when you get in these uh, conversations, I guess, uh, you know, are you mainly trying to sort of soften the position of fellow students or professors or uh you, you know, in, in what Doubt. context do you get in, in arguments? I, I just try to instill doubt, you know, just mm-hmm. try to um, add the possibility that they can see that things can be otherwise. Because the thing is, uh, the, the, dif- the main difference between the West and the, the East and mainly the Middle East is that People are not used to hearing these kinds of criticism. Mm-hmm. They were, but not for a long time after after the so-called golden age of Islam. So they are not used to hearing this. So they just dismiss it right out. Yeah. So, for example, the problem of evil is just really laughed off as this silly, as this kind of silly, like excuses. Yeah. Atheist. Well, and of course, if you're if you're chopping just off. a minute, it, I mean, it sounds like you're running into a particular sticking point when you try to get into these arguments because you're not sure how much uh, conditionally to uh, to basically accept Islam or or their their particular arguments. Uh, like by arguing against it, you sort of also validate it. Is that uh, your main concern? Exactly. Mm-hmm. And the other con- concern is that if I don't talk about it, if I don't criticize it, if I don't translate these books like by Dawkins or Harris or by your guests, then or not criticize, you know, the locally religious conditions in my country, then w- what can I do to make things better? You know, so I have well, to start from somber. Your uh, your position is different than the position of say ninety nine percent of the people who will read my book, and I didn't write about your position. I didn't write about your particular scenario. Um, but if I were to add a chapter or a section on it, I would say <laughs> that you really do need to break through to talk when you talk about versions of hell or versions of problem of evil. You need to to package them in uh, a, a comparative religion sense, you know, where um, you're writing about all the different versions. Now, I'm not saying that's going to work. I'm not saying anything I say is actually going to work either. 
Um, but yeah, um, yeah, I'm yeah. talking about in principle, whereas you're asking me to talk about in practice. Mm -hmm. Now, you might not be able to be a professor in the philosophy of religion classes who can actually tell your students the truth either. You might teach in Houston, Texas, for instance, and if you do that, you might get fired or you might get uh, uh, banned if you tell your students that faith is, uh, is irrational. Or uh, if you're in Iran, it could be worse. And in Iran, yeah, it, it, Iran up, is worse. I took up free will, and I was but, in really but, big trouble. But that doesn't undermine the I, that doesn't undermine the fact that you should try if you can. Now, if you can't, you can't. And I understand perfectly well why you can't. I, I think that. Okay, so uh, the main point. Can I ask uh, John a question? Sure. Um, the the main point is that you were so good in your book, and uh, why I became an atheist. And you said before that you become a little jaded and you moved on from projects of this kind. But the part of your book, your present book, that was concerned with the um, argument for the 11th century theologian and philosopher. Um, I forgot the name of the argument. The ontological argument. Um, you were so good at criticizing the argument and offering a really great rebuttal. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. To it. Yeah, it's really awesome. Oh, and, um, well, good. I want, that makes you feel good. You... Yeah. Well, you, you really deserve it, but I think you deserve much, much more, um, much more popularity and much more reputation, at least on a par with Grayling, I think. Well, thank you. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Yeah. Yeah, um, your works are really influential, and uh, they proved really influential within people of uh, people like me in Iran. Well, well thank so you. So the thanks download so rate has been crazy, and mm -hmm. uh, I cannot say the numbers because uh, if I say the numbers, they can check the counters, and I've stayed on the online for not a long, for somehow a long time. So I'm risking, uh, oh, okay, you no. know, myself and I need to say goodbye. But before I say this, you're so good at offering, you know, counter apologetics. You're really good at it. And I hope you continue writing books like that. Uh, even if you think that it's really, you know, <laughs> sometimes really a stupid subject to talk about. And one can, you know how it is. You have an argument, you refute it. The premises change. Planting offers another one. William Lane Craig offers another one. And they all are refuted a hundred times. So maybe just for those of us who are in the middle, uh, and I see... You know, because it was your books that changed my position to the kind of the strong atheist. Mm. And so I think if you could read that, if you could write that again, it would really change things for people like me. So I wish you could continue that. Thank you so much. Hey, thank you for calling, Harad. Uh, and, okay. uh, you know, good, good luck with your situation over there. Yeah. And uh, well, you got a fan. <laughs> Congratulations. He, he he and my mom make two. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope we generate some more today.
Uh, all right. So we have, uh, it looks like, uh, Lucas in New York. How are you doing? Uh, good. Hello? What's up? Hello. Um, I just wanted to uh, ask the question. My name is Lucas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just wanted to say that for the chat. Okay. Um, I wanted to know why you deny God. Yeah. By the way, I'm going to warn you that the callers think you're a troll, so I'm keeping an eye on the situation. <laughs> the yeah, call I know. So, so uh, tend to but, just censor people that disagree with their views. Yeah, so we're going to take you that. seriously for a couple of minutes. <laughs> so, so you, what you're asking me is why I uh, deny Allah? <laughs> uh, why you deny any God? Well, I, um, I assume that you reject Allah. I mean, you, you don't you don't think uh, he exists. Not necessarily. I don't believe Allah exists necessarily. Okay. So which? Let's talk about which God you believe in. Why? Why would you bother unless you have a particular my, uh, God in mind that you um, you you may be offended that uh, you're going to take out part of your day uh, holding online to to ask the question. What what kind of God do you believe in? I mean, just tell me a name. Give me give me a name. Well, I don't necessarily need to give a name since the the name of the show is the atheist experience. Well, do you? I, I mean, I are you? You do believe in a god, right? A specific one, which is yes, a god, but not necessarily. I, I don't. I don't want to get into well. Specific see, the thing is that that'll just sidetrack. You know, the thing is that when we talk to people on this show, we get people coming from a lot of different backgrounds who have very specific ideas about God. Are you telling me that you don't have any? I do. I, I believe that God is certain things. I'm just saying I didn't want to like, get into a specific religion. Well, but so, I mean, you I, can't talk about the God, the concept of God in the abstract necessarily. Like, I, I mean, yes, I can. If I if I can demonstrate <laughs> that this exists, then okay. that falsifies your position, right? Okay, so he's using the word God as a as a placeholder for a concept that we don't uh, we have to guess at. Okay, all right. right. It's sort of a catch all. all I right. mean, I mean, like. Uh, for instance, uh, there's a very specific concept of God that uh, that lives on Mount Olympus somewhere, and you know, physically comes down and parties with girls every every so often. And I'm pretty sure that you don't believe in that. But but maybe I'm it, jumping the right. gun here. But, okay, but I'm just trying to explain so, that so, the so, name so, of the show so, isn't the, the yeah. non-Muslim experience or the non-Christian experience. It's the atheist experience. Well, here's, so here's if pro- I can demonstrate that any sort of God exists, right, that I don't want to get into okay, specifics. Right. Well, why don't you tell us what any it. sort of God would mean first? Okay, so I'm going to tell you the God I believe in, what I think is a God, and you can tell me if that qualifies as something that you would consider you to not believe in. Okay. Okay. I believe that God... Is transcendent. What does that spaceless. mean? Really? So I'm trying no, to give yeah, you a definition. Really? What does transcendent mean? So do you mind if I like just give you my definition? And I then... kind of do mind because you're defining God in terms that aren't very concrete and don't mean specific things. So I'd appreciate. <laughs> okay, it if you so would let, be let's object to that afterwards. Let's object to that afterwards. Now, then. you Can know, I, just... I know you've called a few times and it keeps going around like this. So I'm going to pass this week. Sorry. <laughs> you know, I, I was getting, you were getting at one angle, which I appreciate. That could have gone and done effective work. Uh, uh-huh. I was getting at, I was getting at, name me a God you don't believe in. 
and then turning it on him. Why don't you believe in that guy? Yeah. Uh, but he didn't let me. So. But, I mean, this goes back to what I was saying, what we were talking about at the very beginning of the show, which is that basically Christians or, you know, not Christians, but theists do not like to take things in the realm of uh, of the empirically definable stuff. They like to put things in terms of abstract concepts right, right, that right. they don't have to, like, nail down and discuss in specific terms. Right. Um. And, you know, on an, on another week, I mean, you know, if this wasn't someone who'd apparently called in multiple times, then uh, yeah, I fine. would probably yeah, that's pick him up. But that's I fine. think some people just like to hear the sound of their own voice. Uh, Eddie here in Austin. Hey, how are you? Hey, how are you doing today? Good. How are you? Yeah, that's uh, good. <laughs> um, so I wanted to talk about I'm being, you know, I'm looking at different things on, you know, people telling me, you know, Eddie, you need to believe in God in order for certain things to happen to you. And I'm praying and, you know, day in and day out that great things would happen to me and accept that they don't happen. Like, you know, sometimes I would be watching a basketball game and I'm praying, you know, my favorite basketball player is Boban Marjanovic. He's a player on the Detroit Pistons. And I would say, you know, I'm praying, please let him play. (laughs) And it doesn't happen. So, you know, I've been praying for a lot of other things lately too. And, not working, you know, I just can't find a way to, you know, pray and believe in something that I could get so, you know, emotionally so happy about thinking that it could happen. God's going to listen to me. God will listen to me. Next thing you know, he just doesn't answer me. So I'm, be- and then I even believed in, uh, thinking that the basketball player, Bo Marjanovic was even a God. And I was thinking of him as a God for a little bit. And I just said, you know what, maybe I may turn to an atheist because I just don't see any signs I don't of know. Have you ever tried uh, just doing what George Carlin does and praying to Joe Pesci instead? Because that has about the same success rate, as far as I know. I guess. Yeah. yeah okay. I've never done that before. We, we've got a feisty group of callers today. Bye. Uh, all right. Where were we? Andrew in Minnesota. Hello. Yeah, how's it going? Good, uh, good. good. How are good, you? Good. I'm doing well. How are you guys? <clears throat> Great. Thanks. Great. So my main question, I guess, the main point that I'm looking for, uh, I work with two pretty devout Muslim gentlemen. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it comes up in topic pretty much all the time that the Quran is perfect. It's the perfect word of God. It's What, I mean, what kind if, of place? If a few... What kind of place do you work at, if you don't mind me asking? I'm not going to ask for details, but... <laughs> no problem. Uh, uh, Honda car dealership. Oh, okay. <laughs> Got it. Pretty diverse bunch of employees. It's pretty cool. Sure, but, yeah. Really I friendly, mean, and good, and good for them, I would say. Oh, yeah. So, so go yeah, on. And I mean, the, their main point really that comes up is that the... The way that the, I guess, linguistics are laid out in the Quran is something that can never be uh, replicated by human beings, which <laughs> I've looked up a little bit, but I, I haven't really seen any good points refuting that. Obviously, I don't believe that. But This actually sounds like a great time to apply the outsider test. So uh, you take this if you want to. <laughs> well, um, the thing is, um, I know my limitations. And I don't know enough about the uh, Muslim faith uh, to uh, say that um, that's true. 
or that's not true. Um, I, uh, but hearing what you said isn't the same thing as presenting any evidence. You see, I have to see the evidence, or I have to know of someone who has seen that kind of evidence. Uh, but uh, everything I've seen about the Muslim faith, everything I've seen about any faith at all, is that it's, uh, it's, it's something concocted, created, originated by people who needed to believe or control others. Um, I borrowed heavily from other religions. What's that? Borrowed I heavily. Always, I always make the point to them, yes, most of it's borrowed heavily, and they try to use that as the point that it backs it up somehow. Yeah. Well, and I, I think it's a, a good policy, to be honest, and say that you don't know that much about uh, Islam, including, you know, when you are talking directly to Muslims. Uh, but the problem is, like, if you don't know something about Islam, it seems like it's up to the people who are trying to talk you into being a Muslim to convince you, basically, or to, to present this information in a way that is persuasive. Right. And it's perfectly all right to just, uh, you know, to just listen to these arguments and say, I don't know, I've, you know, you could look, you could flip through a couple of passages of the Quran. I have. It's not that good writing, personally. <laughs> I mean, I... Um, well, of course, it, you have to speak the original language. Oh, to sure. Absorb the... That'd take a lot of effort. That'd take a lot of effort to determine the truth or the falsity of that claim, but there'd be some people right. who could. Uh, what I would do is I would ask the person, and I do this with Christians all the time, and they'll mm -hmm. email me and they'll say, have you ever heard this argument? And once in a while they, they surprise me with an argument I hadn't considered in some, because it had some detail that was left out of uh, other arguments, and I'll say, oh, no, I, I really hadn't uh, concerned it, considered this before. Um, um, and they'll say, well, what do you think of it? And I'll, I'll, then I'll ask, it, I'll, is this why you believe? You know, is this the reason, is this the argument that if I were to dunk it, debunk it, would convince you that uh, your religion is false? No, 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 this is not why I believe. <laughs> well, why do you believe? Let's talk about that. I, it's about talking in terms of concrete mm -hmm. examples. Sure, yeah. Um, why do you believe? You don't believe because of this argument, and the, the Muslim who has produced that argument for you didn't believe because of that argument. What you want to do is, if you don't know the specifics, which I don't in this case, the, you know, when it comes to the, the Quran, I would simply say, why do you believe? Tell me the real reasons why you believe. And it usually comes down to, I was raised that way. Now, once that uh, is uh, out on the boards, I usually say something like this. Now, given the proliferation of religions around the world uh, that are taught on mama's knee, we know that they all can't be true. In fact, given the numbers of them, we know that most of them are false. Um, and so you have to agree with me that learning your religion on mama's knee is a notoriously bad way to learn a religion by yeah. the odds alone. Although you're not going to get a theist admitting that the reason they believe is because that's what they right, learned right, as right, kids. Right, right. You, you have to... Well, like, I've yeah. actually come close with both of them. They're, one's from Egypt, one's you know, from Somalia, and mm -hmm. they they both you know fully admit that that's what they were raised with. That's what they brought up. And I, I asked, well, would you believe the Quran was perfect if you had read it or hadn't read it until this point in your life? Would you just re now read it and immediately go, oh, that's... That's a perfect, perfectly yeah. written book, and I, I think it kind of stuck, but, I mean, obviously they weren't, like, instantly. Well, here's a, here's uh -huh. a question that occurs to me, which is that, uh, you know, these are guys who have lived in both uh, America and, you said, Egypt for one of them, right? Um, Correct. And 
And I, I think one line of questioning that might be yield some interesting results is saying, you know, you've lived in these two places. Isn't it weird how the uh, the religion that a person believes in seems to map so strongly to their physical location that they just happen to believe exactly the same things as most other people around them? And see what kind of re- reaction that gets, because, you know, they they must feel very pressed to defend their faith, specifically because they run into almost nobody in their day-to-day lives who also believes uh, in Islam. And that's kind of unusual if if it's just objective truth, we're, isn't it? Uh, we're living in a global society now. Internet uh, can take you around the world in a split mm-hmm. second. And uh, there's nobody who can be uh, totally ignorant about the fact that so many people believe differently. Um, and so if you can get someone to say, yes, I was raised to believe in a country... Um, then you can use uh, what uh, Peter Foghosian talks about as a Socratic method, where you're talking in terms of, well, how sure can you be that you were raised correctly? And uh, take them through the kinds of arguments uh, that street epistemologies would do, and um, um, and then try one by one, lead that person to say, well, you know what? Um, If I were born in, say, Fort Wayne, Indiana, which is where I was born, um, I would probably be, uh, you know, a Christian of some kind, which I was. Um, my mom was a Protestant, my dad was a Catholic, and um, since she had to sign on one way or the other, uh, when we were born, we became Catholics until such time as his parents died. And when his parents died, then she could do whatever she wanted. She started going to a Protestant church, and I was, and I started going to that Protestant church. <laughs> I became a minister in that <laughs> Protestant church. <laughs> so um, talk about the kinds of things that... Um, why don't you believe what you would have been raised to be somewhere else? And and then, um, you know, press upon them the outsider test of fate afterward or uh, in the process. And um, uh, But the argument he gave you is not the reason he believed. We have to we have to get beyond trying to answer these arguments. Yes, there are people yeah, who can. Point. I, I don't want to take up any more of you guys' time. That's, that was really a, an excellent point. I'll take that to heart. All so right, thank well, you guys so much for the show. And uh, really, really appreciate what you guys do. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for calling, Andrew. Uh, See you later. Uh, And also, just to finish another thought that I started earlier, it seems to me that the question of whether uh, the Quran is perfect, so to speak, that's not really a matter of fact. It's a matter of literary criticism. (laughs) Uh, And... You know, it it can be intimidating to be talking to somebody who asserts with absolute confidence that their uh, that their opinion about something is the correct and only opinion. But there is nothing wrong with uh, meeting an opinion with another opinion. A lot of people like the movie Interstellar, including Neil deGrasse Tyson. I thought it was kind of crappy. Bring on the hate mail. <laughs> um, but. That was on my mind because I was arguing about it with somebody yesterday. Um, But the opinion that Interstellar is good or bad is not uh, entirely a true or false question any more than the question that the Quran is a perfect or wonderfully written book. Uh, A lot of that comes down to what do you think of it? And there's nothing wrong with just saying, no, it's not, without having any supporting arguments. Yeah, I guess I'd have to know what a perfectly written uh, book in Arabic uh, would be, and <laughs> right. uh, that's just too much effort for me. I, yeah, uh, you know, so I I leave it to someone else to to look at that, and it's not going to be me. Yeah. 
all right. Well, let's see. I'm just going to go with the person who's been waiting the longest. Sorry about that, Wally in Maryland, but you are on the Atheist Experience with me and John Loftus. How are you doing? I'm well. How are you and uh, John doing, good. Russell? Uh, pretty good. Good. All right. Uh, well, I wanted to touch on a couple things before I actually got to the subject that I was calling about. Um, one of the things was the uh, the comment section. Um, somebody said uh, there seems to be a strong correlation between the chat being enabled and troll callers. Um, <laughs> yes. I'm inclined to agree. Uh, so I, I don't I don't know what they were implying by that. That maybe you should turn off the uh, the the. Uh, the chat being enabled while you guys think, are having this. Uh... Well, I think the uh, chat being enabled, like specifically, there are some uh, there are some YouTube uh, live discussions going on that we've been experimenting with to see how that turns out. And okay. I appreciate your input that <laughs> that this <laughs> might be driving some of the troll call, troll callers. It's always kind of a tricky balancing act when you're dealing with certain kinds of feedback uh, to to figure out if. Uh, Providing a space for people to uh, talk without moderation is better overall than uh, than moderating it and and basically possibly having a higher caliber of discussion. But it's something we're checking out. Uh, we'll we'll uh, keep an eye on it. Okay. All right. Uh, the other thing that I wanted to. Uh addressed before I got to my main point was I saw something that was actually kind of humorous. It said, today's co-host is Crocodile Dundee, so uh, thank you for <laughs> joining us, man. Yeah, nice hat, by the way. <laughs> it's a mixture. It's a mix between a cowboy hat and an Aussie hat. Mm-hmm. I love it. So, um, If, I, if I like you are too, just so, listening to the Crocodile podcast, uh, for listeners who are only listening to the podcast, uh, you should pause it and go to YouTube and check out John's hat. I think it's kind of awesome, actually. <laughs> I love hats. I've got uh, 20, uh, 30 of them. Yeah. Uh, of I, course, yeah. to to get the real Crocodile Dundee effect, you also have to bring a gigantic knife into the studio. But I think thanks for not doing that. What are you doing? <laughs> no, no. Put that away. Uh, this isn't killed. a gigantic one. Yeah, that's not a knife. I saw the movie. I know what you're talking right. about. Okay, go on. All right, so I, I guess I'll get on to the main point now. Uh, I've been a closet atheist for, uh, like, or I was a closet atheist for as long as I could remember. Uh, I've, uh, for the most part, I'm pretty open about it now. Um, when I was younger, like, the more I went to church, uh, the less I kind of understood about what they were, uh, what they were preaching about God, and uh, I kind of started to like ask the question, like, why, why would somebody who is perfect create something that was imperfect, and then punish the people he created? for acting in a way that was consistent with his model. Like, that just didn't make any sense to me. And uh, that's kind of been my mode of thinking for a while. Uh, and I've actually been binge-watching the atheist experience for, I want to say, like, oh, you know, a couple weeks now. Um, well, I used, I used to we watch appreciate it. Off. Uh, well, I, I appreciate you guys uh, doing the show. Um, so, like, like I was saying, like, it, it, the whole concept defied understanding for me and uh, – you know, I never bought into the whole God works in mysterious ways bullshit. Or, sorry, excuse my French. Um, the, um, it's just, anyways, the, 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 the concept of God that was pushed on me anyways. Um, well, so, the I, main, go ahead. Well, as a former teacher, uh, I teach online classes too now, but uh, as an uh, instructor, um, I never flunked a whole class of students. Um, but what would you think of a, of a professor who would flunk every class of students he ever taught. 
Um, well, that's what we that's what we're getting with uh, the uh, you know, Adam and Eve experience. If because if if there was someone alive today who would not have sinned in the Garden of Eden, then there's someone alive today who's being punished for something he never would have done. Exactly. But if there, uh, but if on the other hand, everyone would have failed the test, everyone would have failed the test, then the test isn't fair. So, you know, it, it's, it's obviously skewed. There's something wrong with the, the test itself. So in either sense, in either direction, you're, you get yourself uh, into nonsense, just like you said. There's, it's nonsensical. It's nothing based, but nothing but a myth trying to uh, explain why people were where they were and uh, why why. People were afraid of snakes. Why they didn't leave it, live in a paradise, but they lived in uh, as desert nomads, and um, and so they concocted these stories. They told them at night, and uh, they didn't know where they came from. So they must have came from here. They came from there, and these these nothing but myths They're used to um, solidify a group of people under a, a common theme. Yeah, that. it makes no sense. Uh, like any test with an attrition rate of 100% is not a good test at all. Like I'm in the <laughs> army, and like if there's a, if there's a test with an attrition rate that's too high or too low, then they reassess. The test itself, uh, but the thing is that, like, if God's a perfect being, then yeah. I mean, then, especially then it because need reassessment, it would just be perfect on the first try. It makes absolutely no sense. Yeah, the the point of passing a test in the army is not to see who's capable of passing your arbitrary test. It's to actually get a military force in actual fighting form, and if you yes. don't pass anybody, <laughs> like. It's it's better to have at least the best of a bunch of really bad soldiers than no soldiers at all. I'm assuming I'm not a military tactician, but uh, well, but it, but ahead, it seems ahead. like a professor who, like John said, uh, would fail an entire class of his students has really failed to teach his students anything. So that kind of re- seems to reflect pretty badly on the professor too. Yes. Okay. So. Um... All right, I'm going to move on to the next part of this, which is uh, – so I kind of laid the groundwork for uh, my whole – or my whole my, – uh, my life experience in, in this particular uh, area anyways. Uh, my father just recently went to rehab. He just got out uh, in like the beginning of March. Um, and since he's gotten out, uh, we've had a really close relationship, I want to say, like for pretty much um, – pretty much all of my life the the only exception being like during high school and he relapsed when i was in high school but um so since he's been out of rehab this the most recent time um most of our like i want to say more conversations than normal have been kind of colored by religion like and he's somebody who didn't uh i want to say find religion until like he was in his uh 30s um when he was getting ready to go into AA for the first time mm-hmm. um and it seems like it's been a, a really significant part for him for his recovery, anyways. So it's not—it's not something that I kind of wanted to just shut down. Um, and I know I, I know I could, not necessarily because like I'm that confident in myself, but he's—he's a, he's a smart person, and the the tools that he Im, like imbued me with when I was younger, the things that he taught me, are the things that ended up leading to to me rejecting faith altogether, um, at, at, at publicly, anyways. And. Um, it just—I feel like if I were to—if I were to push the—if uh, I were to push the, the point more and more, eventually he would come around. Kind of like how Matt did. Matt's a smart person, um, and Matt eventually came to question his beliefs. It just—it boiled down mostly to um, critical analysis of, of of certain parts of your belief. Like he wanted to prove some of the things that he believed to be true, 
And I feel like if I could kind of just, if I could push my dad in that direction, then that would, um, that would kind of lead to the same end result or a similar one anyways. Um, for a couple of reasons, I haven't tried to do that. Uh, like I said, for, for one, it, it seems to have been like a pretty important part for his recovery. And I don't want to take that away from him, mm-hmm. especially considering like, you know, he's doing a good job now. Um, and, and he seems to be, he seems to be in a good place mentally. Um, the only reason, the only concern that it brings up for me is that, like I said, most of our, or not most, a lot of our recent conversations have been colored by religion. And I've tried explaining to him several times because he keeps trying to push the, the issue um, that, you know, I'm not asserting the non-existence of God. I'm just unconvinced of his existence due largely to lack of evidence. There's not enough evidence to convince me that he does exist. I'm not saying he doesn't exist. So, and, you know, I've tried assuring him several times, you know, I, I, I've tried to believe. I've tried to conform to this whole worldview that, there, you know, there is a God. I've tried to have faith. It just, it just, it never so took. It, re- are, it really never did. Are you wondering uh, what's the best way to have a conversation with your dad or or uh, wondering yes, for, right. wondering whether or not you should push the issue of atheism or what? Uh, a little bit of both, actually. Um, what's the best way to, to approach the conversation, and should I actually uh, should I kind of push that uh, that that conversation of um, like... right? Well, I mean, first of all, you mentioned that your dad's really smart, and you think that uh, if you could argue with him the right way, then he would probably give up his religion. And so, I want to like manage your expectations a little bit because. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's perfectly reasonable and and uh, laudable to uh, have a frank discussion about your opinions and beliefs uh, with your uh, with your father, and try to talk him around to your way of thinking. But also, I mean, I just wanted to warn you that it's it's possible for him for people to change their religions, but it's kind of rare, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. and. I uh, so when I say managing your expectations, I just want to make sure that you don't feel too personally invested that that you'll be like completely disappointed and hopeless if he doesn't change his mind because it's a difficult battle to fight. You know what well, I mean? Well, I'm not. I'm not. Yeah, I, I get what you mean. I'm not right. too personally invested. It's just it's it was more of an aside that I think that that would be the end result in a conversation where I would kind of assert the point of. Yeah. Uh, I think him for him to okay. To kind of so first, I mean, I th- I think you're also worried that if you did manage to change his mind, uh, that he would blow his recovery, and I doubt it. Okay, <laughs> what do okay. you think? <laughs> well, uh, the way I would probably handle him, I I, uh, I have um, um, a mother and um, a brother and his family. They're very religious, and um, I don't talk to him about it. I just don't. I. Um, uh, if they they know I'm an atheist, of course, and uh, well, every Christmas I'll give them my new book. <laughs> I'll, I'll say to my brother, I'll say, yeah, well, I bet you know. they appreciate yeah, that. Yeah, I don't really care if you read it, Tom, but use it as a doorstop. I'm just pretty proud, that, you know, kind of happy that I uh, did this, and I want you to know that um, I'm not the loser you thought I was when we were growing up together. Um, uh, but um, so I don't really I don't do it. But they know I uh, am an atheist, and if they if uh, question comes up, uh, I will answer it. Um, you know, um, I'm not afraid of answering questions. Uh, in your case, if you want to introduce something like that, if you have not yet talked to them or if they don't uh, know too much about your atheism, then, um, you know, I suggest that um, you uh, ask, just simply ask questions. You know, um, uh, 
how do you, two questions, important questions. How do you know that? And what do you mean? Okay. Although I should probably do it in reverse order. What do you mean by that? What do you mean by God? We did that earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you mean mm-hmm. by the Bible? If it's inspired, how, how, how so is it inspired? What, what's, how much were, did men write it? How come they have different grammar? They use different words, you know, um, mm-hmm. and things like that. And how come there are forgeries in it, too? I mean, no, mm-hmm. you've you got to get there. But uh, what do you mean by that? And then how do you know? Um, two questions that's, you know, Socrates uh, would ask over and over against uh, the people that would uh, claim to know something with certainty. And, um, you know, engage him. It's a common theme on the show, too. It is. Engage him in a little street epistemology. Look that up online. uh, Read a book book by uh, Peter Bakhosian. Check check out our show where we talk to um, Anthony Magnabosco. Yes, Anthony, right. and uh, so, um, yeah, simply create doubt. I like to do this. I like to do this, uh, and I'll do this all the time with people. Uh, they will suggest something, and I'll say, hmm, that doesn't sound too believable to me, whatever it is. And I'll say, uh, let's test that hypothesis. I'll say that all the time. You know, or we need to test that hypothesis. And if we can't, then I say, someone's got to test it. You know? uh, I think like a, a scientist, you know, and how would a scientist think? And uh, it'd be something testable. What is the scientist looking for? Well, he's looking for evidence. He or she is looking for evidence. So um, I instill those kind of values, the, the intellectual values of uh, evidence seeking and, um, um, and and questioning. And um, you know, that's, sometimes that's all you can get. And sometimes it works. Sometimes it won't. It depends on how receptive he would be to that sort of initial questioning. Okay, I, I guess I kind of understand what you're right. saying. Um, the the uh, the material that you were saying that I should go read, um, I didn't quite catch it the first time. Can you give it one more time so I can write it down? Well, uh, Peter Bakhosian's book, uh, A Manual for Creating Atheists. Now, he didn't create that title. He's been maligned for that um, um, because his publisher did. And publishers, that's what they do. They sell books with titles. You know, I had uh, my own disputes with some of my publishers, and I, I won one argument and I lost another one as far as the title of a book goes. Um, but it's called a manual for creating atheists, and what okay. he, what he really is doing is he's trying to instill within people the Socratic method, and uh, there are people out there who have uh, 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 are certain about their faith, and what you need to do is you need to get them to be doubters. And that's the only honest position to be when it comes to these sorts of things, and how a degree of doubt you have depends on the lack of evidence, and and on and on it goes. Right. And I mean, I I also just want to reiterate that uh, if your main worry is uh, better not try to talk my dad out of belief because uh, because he might backslide into alcoholism. I again, I doubt it. Uh, I think that uh, like some of these um, sobriety programs, especially Alcoholics Anonymous, is especially bad about this, like push people to accept a higher power as the basis for their uh, for uh, their drying out or whatever mm-hmm. uh, they would refer to it as. But, I mean, that's just propaganda on some level, and I think that uh, coming to grips with the fact that uh, addic- addiction is a dangerous problem that needs to be dealt with head-on there's no real evidence that uh, keeping a higher power in mind uh, has any particular beneficial effect. Uh, there are secular sobriety programs. And, I mean, secular sobriety is actually the name of a specific organization. Um, 
And, you know, if that much of your dad's identity now hinges around his belief in God, then he's, odds are he's not going to give that up anyway. And if, it, and if not, then, uh, you know, you and he can probably talk and come to a better solution about uh, reasonable, rationable, r- rational <laughs> reasons <laughs> to, uh, um, you know, to break his addiction. So Okay. So I think, you know, just be honest with your dad and and also don't put too much uh, of your ego into the idea that you are going to get him to any specific position. Okay. Uh, uh, one more thing, I think. All right. Um, Make it quick. There's... Okay, uh, make it as quick as possible. There's been kind of like a, a, a surge in a lot of uh, flat earther claims. Um, I didn't see anything huh. in the Talk Origins archive or on Iron Chariots. Uh, um, with the, it was kind of like a cursory glance of those uh, two particular sources. Did, do you know of any like uh, sort of like a compiled <laughs> list of claims for flat earthers that I could use I, as a source I material for refutations? I don't off the top of my head because I've never really needed one. Like that's one that's so out there that it is mm-hmm. just not within the realm of my common experience to have to deal with flat earthers. Uh, <laughs> I don't it know seems if to I... becoming increasingly prevalent, yeah. which is kind of scary. I do... Well, I don't know. Sometimes, you know, you have to bear in mind that uh, the way people interact with each other on the Internet, sometimes it can feel like a particular uh, belief is up and coming, but that's really Mm -hmm. because they're just running into it a whole bunch. But it's very selective because, uh, you know, your experience running into these people could be a very, very, very tiny uh, slice of the population. So... You and know, it's kind of that. anecdotal like, to say it's on the rise. Uh, like, I'm not aware of any particular resurgence of that belief. Okay, well, let me let me rephrase that. In, okay. in my own in my own circle, or okay. in, in my in my locality, uh, there seems to be <laughs> there seems to be more and more people that are either <laughs> subscribing to it ironically or unironically. Ah. Uh, but I, either way, and and I I do take into account the fact that some people can just be posed, and uh, it's kind of. E- it's generally very easy to differentiate the trolls from people who aren't who are just actually uh, actually subscribe to this absurd claim that the that the earth yeah. is flat. Yeah, it's. I mean, when when you've got something as ridiculous as believing that the earth is flat in this age of satellite photos, and for God's sake, satellite phones, which I. <laughs> I mean, seriously, you have information, you have cable TV, or not cable TV, but people have ca- satellite. Uh, there are so many different kinds of communication that rely on the fact that there are objects going around the Earth in space. I'm it's a satellite controller, to, too. Yeah. It's so. <laughs> hard to take that stuff seriously. Um, and... And depending on what kind of person you're talking to, you may not want to do them the courtesy of taking them all that seriously and saying, well, that's just bullshit, (laughs) Uh, and not talking to them. Because, like, (laughs) what's the risk if you just ignore this person, that they're going to go around and increase the number of people believing in in flat-earthism? I doubt it. 
I guess there's more. I guess there's more power given to them yeah. than, uh, if you kind of give them a platform or just kind of acknowledge it. I get, right. I get what you're saying then. But that okay. said, it can be fun practice uh, for the for the experience <laughs> of arguing in general. Sometimes, right? the only, sometimes the only reason you argue uh, something is because it's fun. You like yeah. to argue. <laughs> well, I mean, in that case, I would. I do like to argue, though. Yeah, and if it if the argument entertains you and also it gives you some practice in rhetorical techniques, then go for it. Okay. All right. Well, uh, that's that's pretty much the end of everything that I wanted to talk about. I'm okay. not going to burn up any more of your guys' time. Thanks for having Thank me, and for uh, thanks calling. for doing the show. Thanks for calling. Uh, we do have a couple more people who have been on the line for the entire show and a little more. But, uh, <laughs> well, okay, I'll tell you what. I used to do a thing called the lightning round <laughs> where I just burned through some people. I'm going to give uh, you... A couple minutes? Maybe I'm not. <laughs> Is your name Q in New York? Hey, how's it going? Hi. Good. You've got you've got like thirty seconds to convince me that I really want to talk to you. What's up? <laughs> uh, well, uh, first I just wanted to say um, I'm an atheist. Uh, me and my fiance were both black atheists in New York. We're big fans of the show, mm -hmm. and you guys were a big help in our transition. Uh, well, basically, I want to bring up, uh, I conducted a small experiment uh, for black and Latino people mm -hmm. uh, because I wanted to see how many of them I had to go through before I got to something like an agnostic or an atheist. I also wanted to see if I could find some kind of reason why they gravitate more towards religion and hold on to that. So I've been doing this for about four years and I've come across like one black atheist, one Latino atheist. I, so uh, I'm sorry, but we're close to the end of the show, so I'm going to have to uh, hurry you along a little bit. Do you have a specific question? Um, no real questions per se. I just, I, I'm sorry. Um, I was unprepared for this, but. Uh, I, I'm sorry. I mean, I know I'm probably coming across as, as rude, uh, <laughs> but I mean. So you're saying uh, that your observation is uh, like specifically about the black and Latino culture uh, that what they have a higher. A lot, I find that a lot of them tend to focus more on their everyday lives than exactly what they believe in mm -hmm. affects their everyday lives. You know, they're just more concerned with the things in front of them instead of verifying. Well, that's probably good, right? Uh, no, they're not looking for the right answer. What I'm saying is they're just mm -hmm. like, oh, my light bill. Oh, um, got to go to work. Okay. Well, um, you know, some, some people have a tough time and don't necessarily have a the time to deal with very complicated questions when they are uh, dealing with where their next meal is coming from or something. Correct, correct. I guess not. Um, what else have I found? Uh, a lot of them aren't even aware of of uh, certain things that are out there. Like uh, part, a part of my experiment. My question. I think uh, your line's fading in and out a little too much, uh, so we're going to drop you. Uh, but and and also, sorry, we're so pressed for time. But. Uh, 
try again some other time. And we're going to, let's see, we've got nine minutes left in the show, and I just want to remind uh, local people that after the show we'll be heading for Star of India, um, and including John, I assume. Okay, so uh, if you want to come and uh, hang out and talk and have some tasty food, then come on over, and we're going to talk to Matthew in Houston. Hello. Um, Hi. Real quick. Uh, hey, how are you guys doing? Good. Uh, I was just wondering, like, what kind of epistemology John Loftus uses when he assesses evidence for Christianity? Well, if you want to talk about like uh, empiricism versus rationalism or rational empiricism and uh, what that might entail, um, you know, you, you can ask somebody brighter than I am. Uh, on hey, that. I'm right here. No, just kidding. Uh, I, I, did, I did, however, do a lot of research uh, in, in those areas when I was in uh, seminary and in my Ph.D. program, uh, but that was like 20 years ago. What I would rather do is um, is just simply say, where's the evidence for the resurrection? Where's the evidence for the virgin birth? Where's the evidence for uh, people levitating off of the ground? Is that is that fair? Do I have do I have to know uh, about uh, those sorts of things in order to say I don't see the evidence for that? No, yeah. If you don't see it, you don't see it. But when you're presented with evidence, um, quote unquote evidence, I guess you could say. Is there, like, certain types of evidence that you think are inferior to other kinds? Yeah, yeah. The, the worst kind of evidence is negative evidence. Negative evidence is the lack of an explanation for a phenomena. Uh, like, for instance, uh, it's considered evidence uh, by Christians that there is a creator whenever there's a gap where, where science can't explain. Uh, that's the worst kind of evidence. In fact, there's no evidence at all it's, uh, to, say, to say, okay, we can't explain this, so therefore God. And what they do is they insert their God, you know, Yahweh, uh, not Allah, apparently, you know, and uh, not the Hindu God or some other God, and, not, and certainly not a dead religion's God. Because dead religion's God, they must have died for a reason, you see. They didn't, they didn't just all of a sudden die for, you know, no reason at all. So um, uh, You never know. Maybe one of those religions is right, and now nobody knows the true nature of God. I hope I didn't offend you, um, sir, um, but uh, that's the that's, uh, that's way I think about that. So, like, you're kind of privy towards empirical, repeatable kind of evidences, and there's really no other kind, you think? Well, no, I'm not, I'm not opposed to rationalism. You know, I, I think uh, there's, there's some – I've seen some philosophers argue on behalf of rationalism, but I think rationalism is, uh, is a uh, – basically, it's just too religious for me. It's too supernaturalistic for me to, to think that all, all is reason. Yeah, I, so when it comes to quality of, of different kinds of evidence, like there are different fields that approach evidence in different ways. Like, for instance, uh, a scientist might have some very specific and extremely high standards for concluding that something is true. Uh, there's also legal standards of evidence, which uh, tend to be a lot more circumstantial. I mean... Uh, you know, if you find a bloody knife next to a victim with some fingerprints all over it, technically it doesn't prove that the guy whose fingerprints it is um, actually committed a murder, but uh, the evidence can be more or less solid uh, based on the level of detail uh, that it approaches. One of right. the things that uh, happened in American law specifically a long time ago was that after the Salem witch, witch trials, there was this 
long discussion about whether spectral evidence could be allowed. Basically, people saying that uh, that they experience supernatural things like in a dream. Uh, and whereas that spectral evidence used to be considered sufficient reason for uh, indicting someone for the crime of witchcraft, now we don't take it seriously at all. Like, our legal system has absolutely no use uh, for... Uh, people giving uh, unverifiable supernatural ter- uh, testimony. Now, does that mean that supernatural things could not happen? No, it doesn't mean that in a broad sense, but it also means that because uh, people can't, you can't expect two people to experience those things the same way, it's our policy not to convict people based on something where the evidence is that subjective. And so that's what we mean when we talk about, like, whether a claim is more or less extraordinary, let's say. Another kind of evidence that I think Mm -hmm. is poor is um, intersubjectivity evidence, that is, um, feelings. Um, You have a warm, bosoming um, feeling inside, and so you think, well, that's God. Uh, What that is 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 simply a, a good, warm feeling. It's not anything else but a good warm feeling. A warm feeling is a warm feeling is a warm feeling. And I'm all for warm feelings. Uh, sure. a, sub- a subjective experience is no, no more evidence for anything else but that you had a subjective experience. It's, it's not, there's nothing objective about it. That's why it's called a subjective experience. And um, I don't buy it. And since so many people have these subjective feelings that they've experienced God and these gods are all different and they all have different commands and they all have different uh, scriptures, uh, they're, they're notoriously unreliable. Just as Mama and her uh, on her knees is notoriously unreliable to get at the truth about religion and which one is true if there is one. Mm-hmm. Do you think there's a difference between being justified and uh, having evidence for for something, or being justified in something being true? Like, could you could you have justified false beliefs? Yeah. No. <laughs> okay. You can't, you can't have... I think John and I are going to duke it out now. <laughs> Um, <laughs> you can't have rationally justified false beliefs. No. Well, I mean, it all it depends That's on. That's what it means. That's what it means. <laughs> uh, it depends because uh, I wouldn't say that th- something can be justified, but uh, not be absolutely perfectly justified. Which I think, like all degrees of all evidence, the de- things de- that de- we experience, degrees of are probability, kind of subjective. <laughs> degrees of probability, right? Right. High yeah. five. Okay. All right. <laughs> um. So you can have a great deal of confidence in something. You can have a 95% certainty that something is going to happen, but it could still not happen because that 5% is not 0%. And I think that people uh, uh, sometimes like don't appreciate that about probability and just assume that a 95% means, yeah, it's true. But you should always go with the probabilities, even if they end up being wrong. That's I agree with you there, so we'll do another high five later. <laughs> okay. Uh, do you think the person... Yeah, with okay, the, all right, fine. I'm, gotta go. I'm sorry. Well, actually... Do you think the person with the warm... Oh, sorry. We're, we're yeah. about out of time, so if you want to no do problem. a concluding okay. thought... <laughs> 
No, it's just I appreciate talking to you guys. I was about to get into justification and epistemology. I like it. Uh, nice I'm talking with you guys, though. Have a good day. I totally invite you to call back next week. Uh, I sure. look forward to, or or maybe Matt looks forward to having more of this conversation um, with you. Just yeah, just just look up the yes. Gettier's paradox, and you, and then you look into the idea of rational justification, and you probably already are aware of it. The Gettier's paradox. Okay. Then, uh, John, it's uh, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. Thanks for coming. Uh, it's, nice to nice uh, be here. Thank all you. Right. I'm, I'm honored. I appreciate it very much. Cool. And uh, we'll see you at Star of India. You can watch the show next week or any Sunday. See you later. This is Russell Glasser, host of The Atheist Experience. You know, The Atheist Experience is made possible by volunteers and the generous support of viewers like you. If the promotion of positive atheist culture and separation of church and state are values that you hold, please consider contributing by becoming an ACA member or visiting our product page at EvolveFish.com under the Partner tab. Thank you.